Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast with me, Joshua Jackson. As regular listeners will know, this podcast is all about hearing from those people who get up each day and make this country work, supporting their staff, clients and and service users to be the best that they can be. Um, Today I'm joined by Nikki Markham, founder and director of Transferable Skills and Battling On, two organisations that support people to gain confidence, new skills and help with their personal developments. Um, Transferable Skills, working with young people who have fallen outside mainstream education and battling on working with veterans of the armed forces to help make the transition from military to civilian life. Um, Both of those, you know, having had to adapt very much to circumstances over the last 18 months, uh, some more regular, uh, some more recent, sorry, than um, uh, than others. But, um, you know, Nikki, how has everything been? Um, Challenging, to say the least, over the last uh, last 18 months, we've uh, pretty much been fighting a rearguard action. We've seen a huge increase in numbers. Um, particularly within the veterans um, needing support. Uh, I've never seen anything like it. Um, primarily, we're based on the uh, Devon-Cornwall border and within Plymouth, the main services, um, Help the Heroes and the Royal British Legion, unfortunately closed their centres during uh, the COVID period and um, have subsequently announced that they are remaining closed permanently. Um, they're providing uh, outreach support, which meant that um, ours was the only organisation that was actually open to veterans. So as you can imagine, we had um, people banging on our doors um, and the phone ringing day and night. So very, very challenging. Um, and likewise with the children, um, you know, we work in a very deprived area. So we were having to deal with food poverty, um, increases in mental health issues and um trying to get IT equipment into homes that obviously didn't have it so that uh, children could um, get their education. So, yeah, very difficult time. Yeah, I can I can imagine, um, you know, especially given what you do, having so much in normal times sort of face-to-face and um, in-person work, having to actually sort of stop that and, and deal with these sort of wider issues must have been very challenging, not only for, for yourself, but also for those that have sort of come to rely upon you as well. Um, you know, how how did um, your users sort of deal with that? Did they did they take it well? Were there periods of adaptation? Did you have to sort of change how you, you sort of reacted? Yes, I mean, we, we, we had to completely change what we do. Um, uh, so there's a number of challenges, really, because, because of where we are. We are dealing with both a rural community and an urban community, um, and that in itself was, was, was challenging. So in terms of the veterans, we had a lot of veterans who um, were very much isolated, struggling, um, and we had to put befriending groups together very, very quickly. We have a lot of services online. We set up um, a, a set of volunteers, so we were phoning veterans on a regular basis, um, at least twice a week. Sometimes we were phoning them twice a day, um, depending on their level of need, uh, weekend work. Um, so from that point of view, very difficult. We were also sending out food parcels and activity sets. I think we sent out over 500 um, parcels, which contained jigsaws, models, growing kit, art kits, to just try and help people fill their time in a constructive way. And then we do Zoom lessons uh, to support them. Um, in terms of uh, the rural isolation, um, we had a lot of people who were frightened um, to access public transport. 
So getting food to people was also a, a real problem because they were going out. And a lot of the kids that we work with, young people we work with, um, are classed as vulnerable. So there was a huge changes around the social norms of, you know, washing hands, disinfecting, mask wearing, um, which a lot of autistic children in particular just couldn't, couldn't come to terms with. So parents were really locked down. So it, it, it was um, very much time of adaptation and innovation, uh, moving lessons online, following the phone calls, um, actually sometimes in person, dropping off parcels and standing at a distance and making sure that they had everything they needed. So, yeah, difficult. And, you know, you, you bring up some interesting points there. You know, the people that you're working with are... Um, you know, classed as uh, in that vulnerable category, whether that's from a sort of a physical or, or mental disability, whether that's from having to adapt to different ways of, of life and dealing with, especially in the veterans' case, the mental um, uh, issues that come along with the, with the transition from um, you know military into into civilian. Uh, do you think that there was enough sort of supports for your organisation from local council, from um, other support users, from governments um, to be able to give you the the necessary tools to adapt? Or do you think that that was something that was sort of lacking a little bit? That, that's a sort of double edged edge sword because there was uh, was um, funding. I mean, we we did take advantage of um, the loans because we had to um, we had to get more staff in we had to um, you know obviously get um, equipment and you know things like IT equipment we had to purchase to get out to, to, to individuals um, so there was some help but in terms of the armed forces and particularly veterans um, woefully uh, lacking um, even now um, it, it's quite interesting what's happening I mean the government um, under the new sort of funding they announced was 2.7 through um, Ops Courage and another 5 million that wanted to put into, um, into the armed forces sort of mental health teams. But to give you an example, we have a TILS team, which is uh, the mental health side of the NHS operating in Plymouth. So they've got some absolutely fantastic practitioners who I, I can't speak highly enough of. Unbelievably, they don't have a centre or a um, office to work out of. They're transient. So, you know, um, if you're working with people on the streets or drug or alcohol issues, you know, it becomes very difficult to find places to, to actually work with them. And obviously, you know, it used to be that they could um, meet for a coffee or, uh, or what have you. Um, but obviously, during COVID, with everything locked down. That was an issue. So um, there is a lot lacking. Uh, five million went into touch the size of what we're, we're dealing with. To give you an idea, on an average year at any one time, we'd have about 10 to 12 veterans that we were supporting. Yeah. Um, we have now in excess of 90 incredibly complex needs. Um, you know, drugs, alcohol, homelessness, domestic violence, coming through probation, um, suicidal self-harmers uh, so it, it, it's a big big problem um, and uh, unfortunately the answer seems to be in technology and part of the five million is investing in more user-friendly um, apps and um, websites what have you but I can tell you um, working at the front line the veterans in crisis don't use apps and they don't use um, websites 
they want face to face, they want to be able to look someone in the eye and half the problem is with us because being transferred from one organisation to another, there is no holding the hand the whole journey. And that's where the money needs to be invested at grassroots with people that are actually working and talking with these elections and not insisting with a larger charity that have basically moved everything online. Yeah. Uh, um, what's happening with the government funding is quite interesting. A lot of the, the bigger charities and um, organisations are, are sort of complaining that they haven't been able to get out and do their fundraising. Mm-hmm. So just recently we've had a, a spate of uh, funding come down through the covenant and the emphasis where it used to be on small projects with little grassroots organisations such as ourselves um, they're now asking for strategic fit and for large charities. So essentially we're all being frozen out mm-hmm. um, of some of the funding that, that was so vital to veterans. Um, that said, the Armed Forces uh, Community uh, Fund Trust has been amazing, but you know they're not given enough money by the government to support everything they want. Absolutely. And given the fact that you've already said that some of the larger, um, you know, aid organisations, Help for Heroes and, um, you know, are are shutting down or not reopening um, their Mm -hmm. centres around you, it it must be quite disheartening the fact that you're not seen as a big enough organisation, whereas in actual fact, you're the only one in the area. Has that been, you know, a struggle to sort of come to terms with the fact that you're not being recognised on the level that you, you know, should probably be? I think... It's a strange one because um, locally, um, within the southwest, and indeed up in London, we we are recognised. We won multiple awards for our work. Um, we even won the National COVID Heroes work, uh, Award through, um, for the work we did during the COVID lockdown in our distribution of services to the vulnerable. Um, the big problem is, is the way we're structured. We we're a community interest company rather than a charity. Um, we specifically did that because we wanted the armed forces community to have input as members mm. rather than, than adopt uh, trustees, um, you know, trustees men down approach. Yeah. We wanted it to be a bottom up approach. Um, and also we wanted to be able to sort of go for contracts and, and um, uh, tend, be able to tender for work so that uh, that draws in funding so that we can actually support the bits that don't get funding as it were, you know, the befriending groups and that sort of thing. So our structure is such that we're trying to be sustainable but it also precludes us from a lot of grants um, which is, yeah, incredibly frustrating. It's always disappointing when it just comes down to a matter of sort of semantics in, in many ways, you know, when it comes to accessing these funding and what is sort of closed off for, for the charity areas. So I completely understand the, the level there that there sometimes does need to be a bit more of a broad brush, especially when there's such wider things going on and, um, you know, other uh, organisations are shutting down around you. Um, you know, what, what would have made sense when you initially set up now, unfortunately? you know, is, is, is holding you back from being able to support people. And, you know, as yeah. you say, you've gone up to around 90, um, you know, veterans that, that you're working with. Then is there a reason for that other than just other, um, you know, services being sort of withdrawn or is it something sort of more recent that's that's been going on? number of things. Obviously, COVID had a huge impact. Um, a lot of people with, with mental health issues are very good at... Uh, you know, um, keeping busy, not thinking about things. But when you're locked away in a room, it, you know, um, these things start to close in on you. So there's that. Um, of 
obviously people have been made redundant, um, people have been furloughed. Um, so a combination of money worries and, you know, how it affects the home dynamics and, um, you know, the um, uh, sort of wage packet at the end of the day, if it's really reduced, people having to make really difficult decisions about eating, whether they can eat or, or whether they can feed their kids or what have you. And again, that puts an awful lot of pressure on mental health. Um, obviously, recent events in um, Afghanistan haven't helped. Um, but again, I'm slightly sort of vexed by that because whilst there is um, an understanding that, you know, people from Afghanistan um, will be affected by recent events, that is true, but it's also triggered um, a lot of poor mental health amongst other veterans um, who also feel that their their um, suffering hasn't been recognised. I mean, we have a lot of um, guys who've done a number of tours in Northern Ireland, and obviously you've had the recent uh, prosecution of, of, of soldiers, mm. um, and uh, there was a lot of anger around that, and of course, that with Afghanistan, the sort of cascade effect where they start bouncing off each other when they're with each other and it and it affects the whole armed forces community. So it's not just the Afghan vets that are being affected by this. It's right across the board. And that's, you know, a really interesting point, isn't it? That when these things do happen, it brings back, um, you know, bad memories, puts people into a, you know, mental state where they think that actually they're being sort of potentially blamed for, um, you know, things that are outside of their control. And when you, when you look at these uh, court cases, as you say, from, from Northern Ireland and, and Ireland that have been going on, um, you know, it isn't good for, for looking back and people assessing their history. I can imagine that really has given, um, you know, a lot of people pause for thoughts and, you know, the support then isn't there uh, to help people deal with these things, especially while services are, are closed. And it is very much unfortunate timing. But, um, you know, if you were sort of in an ideal world, what would you be doing more of in this instance to help support people or, or what would you change? Well, we'd have to start looking at, at how we address mental health. Um, the government's brought in this, this concept of social prescribing, which is great, but um, we've been doing, um, you know, green space, um, nature-based interventions way before the curve. Um, I came across, across this type of therapy when I was working in Sweden. So we've been delivering it since 2011, um, and I've had to be providing that to be grants. Now the government's brought in this, um, you know, um, uh, you know, prescribers, social prescribers, um, but they're not backing up the funding. So what they're trying to do is move the the onus from um, the NHS and the counselling systems out into the wider community, the third sector, but they're not following it up with funding. So to give you an example of how short-sighted this is, um, a councillor will charge anywhere between 60 and 80 pounds per hour, and let's be, you know, honest, they probably see about six clients um, a day because obviously they have to work up their notes. Mm. Uh, we can actually work with 10 to 12 people um, for half a day and see significant improvement, um, but we've got no funding. So with minimal investment, we could move a lot of people with um, mild to moderate mental health issues off government, you know, off the NHS waiting list and counselling waiting list. Um, but it needs to be backed up. Strategy needs to be thought through far 
more clearly. So I think we need to look at alternative ways of utilising the skills that are held within the third sector. I think we need to look at investing more in um, alternative um, approaches to supporting people because quite often people are driven into poor states of mental health by sort of external factors, housing, food, um, you know, poverty, jobs. So it's not a quick fix, but if we're going to work with people with mental health, what we do here is we actually assign one person with um, a mentor and their journey is from start to finish. So we help them with the housing, we help them with their benefits, using other organisations because that's where their skill sets are, but we take ownership of that individual until we successfully transition them into a place or a job or what have you, where they're comfortable, safe and secure. So we need to look at different methodologies rather than to ping-point people through the system because, um, you know, we get to see the same faces over and over again um, when, you know, that becomes, you know, apparent that it's not working. It's the same story over and over again, isn't it, when things go down the, the sort of bureaucratic route that there does need to be changes, funding needs to be there, and these programmes do need to be expanded and actually followed through upon. You, you can see it with across, uh, you know, the care sector, both for people that are working with the elderly, those that are working with, with youth, and now again with veterans, that actually there seems to be a bit of a, a governmental disconnect in, in, many in many respects from what it's actually like on the ground for effective um, help and effective organisations to what the government is actually able to do with their own sort of council-led users. And, you know, it's, it is something that is going to take a radical shake-up, but I think there's going to be a lot of uh, sort of pushback, um, you know, of, of giving funding to private organisations as there sort of always is um, in these respects. But, um, you know, it's it's good to hear, you know, from you as somebody that runs a, a number of organisations, different skill sets, and has a huge amount of experience um, across this sector of what you think that the changes do need to be. But, um, you know, sort of, Nikki, looking, um, you know, at yourself a little bit more, you've recently been awarded an MBE, um, you know, a fantastic leader across a number of organisations, as I say. And, uh, you know, what would be your particular sort of leadership style throughout this period? Um, would you say that you've had to change? Would you say that you've grown as a person? Or would you say that you've had sort of the skills already within what you do to be able to have sort of found the, the last 18 months and the challenges that have come with it to, to be well within your remit? Um, I think I have changed. I think we've um, all of us have changed who've, who've uh, experienced the last 18 months. Um, I think we've got to be very cognizant of um, our staff and the impact it's, it's had. I mean, I've certainly noticed um, across the board the impact it's had, um, particularly with the challenges that, that many of my guys have to face. Um, they dealt with some really very troubling stuff within family units or, you know, dealing with suicidal cases. Uh, so we've had to be um, very mindful of, of both staff. We've invested a lot more in staff training. Um, Try to, to actually um, be aware that, you know, families also are suffering because of, you know, um, bereavement. We've had people that have suffered COVID and, and had some very torrid times. So we've had to be flexible. Um, I've had to make sure that... Um, 
the team is agile as as possible. And I think, you know, I've had to rely far more on um, my senior management team and I've had to relinquish control, which I found hard, I've got to admit. Um, I do like to micromanage uh, and to be honest, they've really stepped up to the, the mark. I've also invested um, in really good quality staff. Uh, I think that's really important, uh, getting the right people in. So to give you an idea, uh, we have grown 50% in terms of our staff in over the last 18 months just to deal with the need on the ground. Um, so that was a challenge, bringing people in, but we were far more selective about who we employed. Uh, and, 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 I, and I do believe that there is an element of you have to lead by example. And, I, and whilst, you know, um, it's a standard joke that, you know, I'm with the last one to turn the lights up because I live on site and, it, you know, I live... Um, where we work, um, I do believe that morally and ethically, you have to you have to abide by the principles that, that you adhere through business. Um, we are a social enterprise. We are firmly rooted within our community, and I think you do have to lead by example in terms of, you know, if you're asking a community to engage and buy into your organisation, then you have to to reciprocate by working at community level. So we made a real effort to go out and find what was needed by our our clients, as you so-called beneficiaries, what people wanted, what people needed, and in turn, um, that has helped us grow, and we have a much bigger market presence mm. as a result of working. Um, we've had to be very innovative in our approach and very flexible, and I think these are all skills that that you know um, are vital in this day and age, particularly where I strongly think that we're going to have some form of sort of Black Swan event coming up on us with the convergence of the impacts of COVID, shortages, fuel prices, fuel shortages, and inflation. I think, as usual, the people that are going to be hit hardest are those that are least able to afford to be able to pay the bills. Well, that was all very, um, you know, positive about the the team building and um, you know being able to sort of give a little bit more less of that control, give a bit, a bit more control to those around you, expanding the team until um, you know you decided to say that we were going to have a black swan event in there coming up. And um, <laughs> <laughs> whilst I do very much agree with you uh, that things are converging, I I don't like to think about it. To be perfectly honest, it's um, uh, you know something that needs to be planned for. But let's hope that um, you know that doesn't happen. There's enough that's going on as it currently stands but um you know obviously you work an awful lot with um you know volunteers as well do you think that um you know over the past you know, few months that uh, you know volunteers have been um you know stepping back or, or wanting to to sort of work more um rather than sort of the, the the paid team the employee team um to begin with we had um a, a big influx of volunteers um but as obviously lockdown um progressed uh, we we had a bit of volunteer fatigue, mm. um, which you know is inevitable. And then obviously as the market started opening up, we're dropping off to get, to get employment. But what we've actually found is that we've invested a lot in training with the volunteers, and um, we've 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 sort of banded them. So we have those that are in a position where they are retired or local, and they can give more of their time because they work you know, flexibly. Um, and then we have people that are a light touch, so they have a specific interest. So we, we we opened up to dementia groups and to the elderly to try and reduce 
social isolation. So we have people who have specific interests in that. So we've, we've given them the training and empowered them, and they actually then regularly contribute. Uh, and what is nice is they actually tend to work amongst themselves as volunteers because they've created their own social networks. So they fill gaps between them and they'll come up to me and say, don't worry, we've got it covered, which is which is wonderful. Um, and certainly, is, uh, you know, within the third set, so we couldn't do anything without our volunteers. So we are so grateful for them. That's great as well that you are actually, um, you know, investing in, in volunteers. A lot of organisations don't do that. Um, you know, volunteers are people to, to sort of turn up and, and help with a particular project or a particular day or or a particular thing but actually having those long-term um, relationships can really help with not only the sort of ethos of the organization but the quality of it as well and that's something that's really important and it's it's really good to hear um, that that's been a, a priority of yours um, you know being able to upskill people um, and, and give them confidence to, to do their best but uh, if you're sort of looking ahead now um, you know it seems at that we are turning a corner with um, COVID that things are getting back to that sense of openness um, and that sense of normality, especially being about people to go into work or access, um, uh, sorry, access um, things that they, they need from, from government and, and health and, uh, and sort of mental health um, uh, organisations. But do you have anything that you are looking to do that's new? Are you going to be carrying on with um, anything that you've been um, putting in place over the last sort of 12 months or are you going to go back to what you were doing previously? Uh, we constantly change. The beauties of, of my position is that um, we are constantly assessing what is happening at um, at, at ground, ground level and then overlaying that with what's happening across society, government changes and what have you. So we're always looking for where the next gap is going to occur where people are going to need support. Um, and we are currently working on a, a very interesting project surrounding food poverty where we are, uh, well, it's combining food poverty with climate change. And we've created a uh, research market garden where we're looking at crops that will be sustainable because we are in, a, in, a, in an environment that, that relies on agriculture and particularly market gardens. So we're looking at developing crops that can cope with the changes to the climate, but we're also looking at um, uh, an interesting concept of business in a box, which is hydroponics, that we can actually, um, with Plymouth University, hopefully we're going to scale scale down what is happening now to be affordable at community levels so that we can produce fresh, green, healthy um, foods at affordable prices, uh, reducing food miles and our reliance on um, um, exports. So that's a project that we're working on the side, which is um, obviously going to provide training um, and um, employment avenues to those that are coming through our system. That sounds absolutely incredible. Um, you know, really interesting um, sort of you know side project you've got going on there, tackling so many issues that actually you know are wider in the um, globally, uh, as especially as we come up to sort of COP twenty six and the environmental movements. But um, but also being able to use your current service users and um, uh, the people that you work with currently to to you know. F- sort of funnel them into into that uh, that project that sounds very mm. exciting um and you know it's been 
An absolute pleasure sort of hearing from from you over the course of this uh, this talk. Uh, Nikki, some really interesting points um, I think have been raised, you know, especially when it comes to the support levels that, that can be needed, changes um, to helping people get out of the armed forces and adapt to, to sort of civilian life, um, as well as then your sort of you know, plans for the future and, um, and personal leadership throughout. So I'd very much like to, to thank you for, for coming on today and sharing a little bit of your experiences. And it'd be great to have you on in a in a few months um you know or midpoint of next year once hopefully everything's sort of behind us and we can hear a little bit more about um uh you know your projects and and how you've adapted in you know a short space of time you're welcome thank you nikki thank you ever so much goodbye goodbye